You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to G-Talk, Girl Be Heard's podcast and new platform for girls to express themselves beyond the stage. I'm your host, Zoe Norman Hunt. One, two, three, four. Listen up. Time for girls, all of us, to take the stage. Girl Be Heard. What? In our pilot episode, you'll hear from our former company members, Asta Jane and Shenny de Los Angeles. My name is Asta Jane, and this piece is called Fighting My Mind. When the whole world whispers the worst, the monsters inside my chest and my head and my heart and my lungs and my toes scream, screech into my veins, frigid and shaking, tears won't stop, whispers getting louder, breathing becomes a feat. I dig my fingernails into my thighs until they're bleeding because I wouldn't want anyone to see it on my wrists. I need help. And I scream it. I scream it off the mountaintops and into my pillow night after night for what once seemed like eternity. Fighting my mind has been the most terrifying and impossible thing I have ever done and will ever do. But I'm so grateful to be stronger. To know what makes me tick and ick, to know myself and my body, my heart and my lungs the way I now do. To know that soft pretzels with just a hint of mustard make me smile, but the color pink does not. The waves on the beach are nice to watch, but I would never again dare to go in. I know I like being held, but only in the comfort of my own bed. I don't like hugs because I never know where to put my hands and knee-high socks make me feel safe. I'm only here because for the longest time, even now, I hurt so deeply. I wake up some nights and go to sleep, never wanting to wake up again. I let the people I love walk away and sometimes walk all over me. But I've also learned how to hold myself. Back straight, eyes up, a smile that stretches for miles. I've learned to appreciate my body, stretch marks and all. My friends, the ones who show up at 1 a.m. with pints of ice cream in the world. The way a tree towers tall and colorful in the fall. And the only reason I can write these words and genuinely smile and be here is because I had to hate myself to learn how to love myself. Actually, the story behind this piece is kind of funny. I wrote this piece in a Target parking lot at like 3 a.m. Poetic. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was in Jersey and I was driving around because I was having a bad night. Um, and I stopped and I started like sobbing in my car. And mm. I like took up my phone and I started, like, started writing down my feelings. Um, so like that's the beginning of a piece I was not in a great place, but I think writing the piece brought me to the end. I had no idea where the piece was going until I started writing it. And uh, I think the whole piece is just like one big realization. Did writing it get you out of the funk you were in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are you somebody who reads it out loud? Like, were you reading it out loud in your car or? Yeah, I often like talk through my feelings and it eventually like comes out in some sort of artistic way I suppose what was your breaking point to be like okay I don't want to be here in this car I just want to write that's a good question um I think at some point your feelings just build up inside of you to a point where like it needs to come out in some way and so Mm -hmm. you either like talk it out or you scream it out or you sing it out um in whatever way like has to come out because it's at like a breaking point And I think that's what writing is for me. It's a way just like to take whatever's inside of me and like lay it out so it's not only my burden anymore. And what's that last line that you have? I had to hate myself to learn how to love myself.
I think that just sums up mental health. Yeah. Period. Exactly. Yeah. When we reach like the darkest corners of Mm -hmm. our minds. So for you, how do you get, because I think a lot of people, I think a lot of artists Mm -hmm. create art from sadness. Yeah. Which is like the, it's like a stereotype, but I think it's rooted in reality in many ways. We romanticize it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm trying to get to a place of writing from happy moments or like... Which I've found is so difficult. Girl, it's it's hard as fuck. It is so hard. You're not really present when you're sad, Mm -hmm. but you're present when you're happy. For you, there's something so... It's beautiful, but there's something positive in it. Like Mm -hmm. Like your heart and your mind is fighting that place of like, I don't want to feel this way about myself. I Mm -hmm. don't want to hate myself. Like, I, I know there's more to me. Writing about being happy and like, you know, when you're in like a positive place, I think there's something about happiness that... A, it's so hard for us to be present with. I think we're so focused on, or at least I found that I'm so focused on like being happy eventually that when I'm happy in the moment, it's so hard to embrace it and just be present. I think there's something about happiness that I can't pinpoint the way I can about sadness. Yeah. And sadness just seems unfathomable, yes, but there's something about sadness that you can just put your hands on, whereas happiness just seems so out of grasp sometimes. Um, that was morbid. <laughs> but you say that, and then the end of the poem proves different. Yeah, And yeah. I think that's just so gorgeous. Like, mm-hmm. even in such a sad state that you were in, something within your own mind, within that darkness, yeah. said, hold up, but here's an affirmation. So I think that just gets me to the point of asking, you know, when, when did you learn that language had power for you? Like, when mm. was that for you? It took a while. But I think it goes back to what I was saying before of just like being at a place um, where your emotions have become too much for you to handle on your own. And so they need to come out in some way. And so I think that's when I started writing. And I think that was like time wise, my sophomore year of high school. I just started writing every night and like, you know, throughout the day, just little notes in my diary and like on my laptop. And just, it was just thoughts. At that point, it was just, like, feelings that I had to get out. And, like, I think I started turning it into, like, poetry when I joined Girl Be Heard. Why poetry? Because I think there's something about poetry that just takes your feelings and um, your understanding of the world and synthesizes it and, like, puts it in a way that others can understand it. And I think... I think writing poetry and performing poetry and sharing your poetry with other people is one of the most powerful things in the world. Um, having your feelings affirmed, or not even affirmed, like I don't have to know that someone else like understands that feeling. I just need to know someone like is listening to me. Mm-hmm. And like being heard is just incredible. But I think even before that, I think language has power internally as well. Like, I think writing for myself, anytime, it's a way of healing. It's a way of processing. It's a way of understanding yourself better. And I think um, once you understand yourself better, you can address whatever inner demons you have. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to be present and, like, be 
selfish in a positive way when you understand yourself. And I think language gives you that. What would you say was or is the most difficult part for you getting into your own work and getting into mm. the personal and getting into like the demons of it yeah. and sharing it. It's not because it's one thing to write it and then it's one thing to perform it, mm -hmm. you know? So it's very hard to write knowing that you're writing for it to be performed. <laughs> and yeah, no, that's a, yeah, it's a super difficult thing to do because you want to write and you want to be true to yourself, but also you have at the end of the day, um, when you're writing for performance, you know that like that work has to be delivered and has to be performed. And so there's certain ways that you want to write to make it more performable, you know, quote unquote. Um, and it's so hard to be true to yourself while writing a piece that's supposed to be performed. Is that the most difficult you would say is writing pieces that, that you know, like intentionally, this will have to be delivered to an audience? No, I, the hardest part is... Um, being honest with myself, mm. I think that's always hard. In the writing aspect? Even like pre-writing. Mm. Like to get to the place where I can write, I have to like understand myself and like that understanding of myself and like being able to actually face my feelings head on and like where I'm at head on, I think is very difficult. And it's something I like process and like I'm grappling with every day. Well, you know how they say you have to like reach some sort of crazy point or dangerous point mm -hmm. like they romanticize for artists this idea of losing your mind to make great art yeah and obviously i i disagree with that I, yeah so how do you stay healthy well i was gonna ask you how do you how do you change that perspective because mm -hmm. you're talking about a piece that does deal with your demons that yeah, does yeah. go to the dark place um, you know you also said that you wrote it in a moment where you were like I don't I, like you had reached mm -hmm. your limit in the reality of life yeah, and yeah. went to your writing so how do you combat that statement mm -hmm. you know I've been forcing myself to do this a lot more and just write when I'm happy um, and like write about the small things and being present is like something I've been very much focusing on I think that is something I'm also trying to bring to my writing as well. Because, yeah, you're totally right. The depressed artist is such a romanticized thing. And I think it's so messed up because, yeah, good art does come from sadness. But I think our phenomenal art can also come from happiness and from the small things and from just being present. And Did so that's something. Did you lose your mind writing this piece? Actually, I think the opposite. I think I've found my mind. <laughs> I think I like found some corner of my mind and gained like, a deeper understanding of myself writing this piece. You graduating class of 2018 for being here today. All the blood, sweat, and tears, but we made it! In all honesty, I thought about all the ways my speech could go. In each version, I was never satisfied. No matter how beautiful or intellectual I sounded, there was always something missing, the truth. So I wrote this instead. I've never known school without rush, without pressure. I kept telling myself all these years, yeah, I work better under stress. Submitting my papers at 11.59, on a good day, 11.58. Coffee mixed with booze, assignments mixed with Adderall, 
ecstasy to reward myself for all the hard work I've done. Let's face it, the great thing about your college experience is there's a filter for what your parents know. That is in your control. Because who needs to know the space between class and sleep? What's important is that you did it, no matter the cost. I did school. Even without having windows in my classrooms, I maintained somewhat sane. Without having my mother, I managed to find people to guide me. And of course, I met people just to lose me. From the beginning, school teaches you how to be complacent. Our teacher showed us how to fill in bubbles before we learned two times two. I mean, even in college, math class was a joke. You know what they called it? Math for life. Right. There <laughs> we learned about geometry, lines, square root of something. But in my life, I've never had to use any of that. Maybe math for life should have consisted on how to build credit or how to save it when your college debt kills it. You want to know the real math for life? Just to go to the school, it costs each one of us almost $130,000. America owes $1.48 trillion in student debt, and this is spread among 44.2 million of us. Everyone sitting here chose college with the promise of a future. But who chose school just to learn? What does this country look like without every single person in this room owing their life to it, their house to it, their children to it? I don't know that America. Adults like to say, wait till you get out there in the real world. But if that's the real world, then what is school? Make believe? I believe in a system that does not profit off of us failing. A system that wants us to be excited for education, excited for growth, excited to learn from mistakes, encourages taking a break. I believe in a system that does not suffocate us. And as much as I want to say at school, that's not actually how I feel. Because I want kids to go to school. I want school to be a safe space to learn and embrace individual identity. I want kids to learn history. I want them to have textbooks with the faces of the black and brown soldiers who died for us. I want them to know about Tamir Rice so they can understand why black lives matter. I want children to see America with no filter. I want an education system to feel like a playground where you fall and get up because you know after the fall you can, because you know this was all created with effort to never hurt you. I think school hurt me. I think it took something from me, something I'm never getting back. Let us not forget that six months from today will be the start of us paying our life away. Don't you see that we've been working since the beginning, conditioned to feel comfortable, enslaved into this perpetuating cycle? We've learned this pattern since preschool. We know it all too well. And when my speech ends, you will have been in this system at least 20 years. It will take you more time than you have lived to pay back what you owe. So remember the numbers, 44.2 million Americans are in deep debt from college loans. Congratulations, class of 2018. <laughs> Welcome to America. I have so many thoughts and I want to attack so many or address like so many parts of this piece. Um, you talk about not knowing school without stress. Yeah. 
um, and without the rush and without the pressure. Did you ever find a time when you were in college or in school ever where you were just learning and you enjoyed learning? It wasn't in the classes I took for my major. Okay. What was your major? Um, I got my BFA in acting. Okay. Gotcha. I took this class with this woman, and she teaches at a couple of different colleges in New York, but I don't think she even teaches at my school anymore, but her name is Dr. Britton. Okay. And I took her class outside of my program, and she taught... She basically taught me what racism was. Wow. And I was a junior in college. So I'm 20 years old. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, living on my own for the first time, really getting to know myself, and yeah. I'm really learning real history. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm understanding what it means to be the woman that I am um, in my identity. So I kept taking her classes because I just felt... I was excited for 9 a.m.s, and her classes were three hours long. Wow. And I was excited to study. I was excited to actually learn this information. Also, just having language um, in an educational environment that makes me feel like, oh, I understand what I'm doing. You know, like mm -hmm. when you're code switching, you know, talking to professors versus talking to your friends. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, there's words for these things that I do that I never knew about. This line you have about... Uh I met people just to lose me. Mm -hmm. I think that's beautiful. No shade, but I remember somebody, <laughs> when I wrote this, was like, that line doesn't make sense. This white woman was, like, editing, because I wrote this for a show, and she was like, this line does not make any sense. And I was like, that's okay that it doesn't make sense to you. Mm -hmm. That's okay that you don't understand it, but... People it, will understand it. Yeah. Trust me. People will understand. People understand. You need people sometimes just to lose yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, just so that you don't have to be where you're at. Yeah, yeah. I love this line where you say, I want an education system to feel like a playground um, where you fall and get up because you know after the fall you can. When you fell in school, what helped you get back up? Drama class. Mm. My theater teacher. Yeah. My friends who were in plays with me. My friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm somebody who's really afraid to make mistakes. I said yeah. this year I was going to fall. I want to fall hard this year. Like, I want bruises. Um, and not in some dark way. Bruises that really show, like, oh, like, you made this mistake to really grow from. So I'm excited to really... I'm excited to just throw myself into it all. But in school, the one place that I could fall and get back up was in the world of theater. Literally, mm. it was a world. Like, when I got into drama class, I had moved to Florida, I was in sixth grade. I was like, is this, you know? Like, this is magical. This is the first time I'm being seen. This yeah, is the first exactly. Time. My drama teacher was this white woman who was like, whoa, your Afro is incredible. And she cast me in my first show, The Little Prince. I was a snake. And she's like, this, this hair has to be big, loud, and proud. And if there, I know this is not a question, but I'm just going to add it. Mm -hmm. If there was any advice I'd give to my little self who was going into school and struggling, I would say, look at your hair. You weren't meant to hide. And that's beautiful. You were meant to take up space. Yeah. And it was so beautiful that this woman could see that in me, a woman who didn't look like me at all, mm -hmm. who honestly felt more like a mother than my own mother could be. So, yeah, theater was really it for me. That's the place that I felt safe to grow to make mistakes, to fall, to get back up. And I want school to be like that in general, mm -hmm. where people can make mistakes, people can get an F, it's okay. Yeah, do you still feel that with theater? 
the more woke you get, honey. I know, I know. In writing the show, they were like, can you go a little bit in about school and mm -hmm. like, what that was for you? And that's really when I started unpacking, like, whoa, this is how I felt about school. These are the ways yeah. that it really broke me as mm -hmm. a person. I was like, I've never known school without rush, without pressure. I kept telling myself all these years, yeah, I work better under stress. Mm. And then I go into all that stuff that I did. And then I kind of went back to like depression and kind of brushed over school. Yeah. And they were like, hold up, hold up, hold up. After I wrote this piece, much after a year later, I realized it's beyond just the education system mm -hmm. that really knocks us down. Yeah, you have this line in the piece. Um, you say, when my speech ends, you will have been in the system at least 20 years. Yeah. It's so weird to think of the education system as like a system because they tell us that it's complete opposite of that. Because there's a filter on everything that we learn. I babysit these two white kids and they're millionaires. I mean, I can only assume, but they have a $2 billion home and they pay tuition for their 10 or 11 year old and seven year old, you know, more money than I paid to go to school or to take out a loan to go to school. Their <laughs> son is incredible. The reasons why I love him is because every time he comes home from school, he's like, all right, can we unpack this? I'm like, all right, tell me. And he goes to school in Brooklyn and they mm -hmm. switched from the school, the private school he was in Manhattan to Brooklyn because they're like, we need something more liberal. And I don't want to say it was on me, but I think he was telling his parents like, you know, in school, I'm learning that Christopher Columbus found America and Shenny's telling me that's not true. And they're probably like, well, why are we paying over $100,000? Because they're woke. They're, they're as woke as they can be, I should say. And I know they're probably thinking, well, why am I paying all this money? And the babysitter is teaching history that, you know, is the truth versus mm -hmm. the school. But every time he would come home, and even in the school in Brooklyn, it was something else that we had to unpack. Like, they were unpacking slavery, and the teacher wanted them to, to not choose sides. And I was not like, two sides. Not two sides. On slavery? This school in Brooklyn. That's supposed to be liberal. Well, the kid was like, well, he's saying that some people need to get these certain people who are masters because he wants to see both sides of the coin. And I said, what are both sides of the coin? He's like, well, I mean, if you think about it, he paid for the slaves. So there, it's only right that he had them. This 11-year-old boy is telling me that. And his parents are paying over $100,000 I hate America. just for him. And this school specifically is a school designed to be liberal, designed to make people feel safe. There's a lot of brown folks in that school. There's a lot of black folks in that school, black children, I should say, brown children. And so I was like, I want you to hear out loud what you're saying. So you're saying that if a man pays for people, he's allowed to do whatever he wants, torture them, kill them, you know, do whatever he wants to do because he paid for them. He's like, well, I mean, I don't know. Now I'm confused. And so we really just had a conversation talking about it. I'm not going to say that I changed him, but he's written poems and send them to me. And one of his poems was like, if we all cut our skin, we all bleed red. But that's why I wrote that line, because I thought of him, you know, I want children to see America with no filter. Yeah. Like even in 2018, 2019, we're still learning that slavery is still questionable whether or not that was something that was morally correct. Excuse me? Yeah. Y'all, mm. and black kids need to see themselves in history textbooks, not just as slaves, you know what I'm saying? Because there's a lot that was mm. discovered by black men and women in America, okay? 
Um, so it's important that they know that. And like when we say representation is important, and it's also important for young white children because they feel so entitled. Mm-hmm. You know, they feel so entitled. And I know that comes from a place of constantly seeing themselves yeah. in power. That's what white privilege is. And all I remember from third grade onwards was learning the same thing about the Civil War every year. That's all the history that I learned. Mm. And the whole thing was about like slavery, Abraham Lincoln, all of that. But like I learned the same history over and over when there's so much more to it. I never learned American history. Mm-hmm. I learned what they wanted me to learn. This has been amazing. I think, Shani, it's incredible how in touch you are with your identity um, and how you acknowledge it as like a constant process of learning and unlearning. I think it's beautiful. I would say the same thing for you. Like, I was excited to be here. I was excited mm-hmm. to share stuff together and unpack it together. You yeah. know how I feel about you. You know how um, I feel about you. So it's like, it's good to see <laughs> two women of color, two brown women with so many different complex identities mm-hmm. come together and talk about what that looks like, especially yeah, when you're no, I think it's beautiful. talking about mental health, which yeah. I think both our pieces really talk about. Absolutely, yeah. In different ways. And like, I think we both have a way of sharing darkness but but finding so much light in mm. that that we don't come out sad from yeah. talking about something yeah. that made us feel sad we, we come out come stronger out. exactly yeah. so it's been beautiful to do this yeah no i love it thank you zoe for like making this happen for bringing us together for giving us a space this has been g talk a girl be heard production thanks for listening this episode has been produced by zoe norman hunt and Brittany applewhite our executive producers are chi kaitano and kim sykes I'm your host, Zoe Norman Hunt. To learn more about Girl Be Heard, go to our website at girlbeheard.org. And remember, it's not enough to talk. You must be heard. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.